Thanks, Alan. Uh, good morning, church. Um, it's been a pleasure, really, to be with you since um, I arrived on Friday um, and yesterday as well, teaching on Babylon culture. Very interesting questions that we had, very interesting interactions. Um, I'm just teasing the different aspects of culture, the difficulties that we experience as a country, a diverse country that we are, and how to understand this diversity and how to make it work for us. But Alan has asked me this morning to share a bit of my testimony um, and, and many things like that. And I've come to realize now that testimony is, is very important in some parts of the church. In my church and circles, really, we don't really share much of your testimony. It's like, okay, now that you're here, get, get, on, get on on the business. But I realize sometimes I get to be asked, but how did you get, how did you get here? You are here, we hear you, but what's your story? How do you get to this place? So I don't get to do that quite often. You know? So um, I've lost both my parents at a young age. Um, my father I've never known. By that I mean I've never met him. I've never seen him. Um, I don't know how it looks like. I've never heard his voice. I've never felt his touch. I don't know how it looks like. I know nothing about my father. Um, so I was raised by my mother. She got pregnant while she was starting to be a nurse. In fact, strangely, here in Devon. She was studying here in Devon to be a nurse. In fact, I'm half Zulu. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure which half, but... One half, I'm not sure the light of the left or the right, but one half of me is Zulu. So um, my mother was studying to be a nurse, and she fell pregnant, and she came back to PE with a diploma and a, a baby. So it was a double uh, portion, if you put it that way. And so I was born with the, the, the man's house where she fell pregnant, immediately didn't want nothing to do with her, um, and therefore she was chased out with me in her tummy, came to Port Elizabeth, and I was born, 1978, 8th of June. I grew up in the Tosa land, um, and I was Tosa-lized, among the Tossas, and using my mother's last name, using my mother's clan name, growing in that structure, and being proud to be a Tossa person, and understanding the dynamics of the conflict between Tossas and Zulus, you know, all the tribal issues. But me just beating my chest as a proud Tossa, not knowing that, you know, the Zulus I've got problems with. Part of their blood also runs in me. That's what happens sometimes in our world. That sometimes the people you have problems with, not only do you not know that sometimes there is an element of God working in your life through the very people you don't like. So God may have content in a container you don't like. But because you need the content, you have to receive the container. You know? So, and I was born in the earth and I grew up. But unfortunately, on the day that I left, my, my mother then became a nurse. My grandfather and my grandmother had nine children. In those days, people were not working a lot in terms of industry. It was not an industrial age, you know. People lived at home, so they get enough time to have babies. <laughs> so there was not much television or much activity. So... You know, they say this. They say that when electricity gets shut off, like ESCOM gets shut, it's, it's, it's shut you know, people make more babies. So we need, you know, we need recreational things. So the more we have electricity and things to do, you know, the less babies. So we need civilization, you know, apparently. So my, my, grand, my grandfather had nine, nine children, my mother being one of them. None of them, none of them passed metric. None of them finished studying because they got caught up in drugs and alcohol. So the pattern of my family was a heavy use of alcohol. All the children are born out of wedlock. None is born in marriage. So um, the children now of the next generation after my grandfather, who also had lots of children outside of marriage. 
So the nine children are not all with my grandmother. So there were also others. And half this, half things, half, half sisters and half. Just as he, you know, disperses his seed abroad, you know. So he was generous with his seed. So he, he kept spreading his seed within the community, you know. So there were a lot of people who were beneficiaries of his seed. A lot of women. So there were a lot of children who were born. And so, and this same man was a witch doctor. By which doctor, I don't mean, a, you know, some of these ones we see. The small, little, small, my grandfather was a real deal. A, a ranking, a ranking witch doctor, a high level. Not, uh, sometimes you see some, some people trying, but my grandfather could cause a light, they would cause lightning to occur in heaven. They would fight with the next witch doctor across the town over, with lightning, and there would be lightning in the skies. And it's them fighting over the city. That's how powerful they were. That's the kind of power that they possessed. When he died, about age 60-something, of prostate cancer, so he could not heal himself. He had all this power, but he died of prostate cancer. And was done. 83 died. And my mother, the only educated person in my family, bought a house in a suburb in Port Elizabeth called Kwamakwai. The suburb was designed for professional black people because at that time there was all this unrest in the townships and burnings and all of that. So they built a suburb specifically for professional black people, your teachers, your lawyers, your doctors. So it was semi-comfortable um, compared to other township homes with no um, amenities or toilets outside. Mine was three-bedroomed, warm water, geezer, toilets on the inside. I mean, it was relatively okay. So I grew up relatively okay in terms of comforts. I had a bedroom, and which is, you know, so maybe not, some of you may not know this, but for us, having your own bedroom is a big deal. <laughs> your, I mean, your own bedroom, that one that's yours. Not set with five people, but one that's yours. It, it's a huge deal. Having your own bedroom, your own bed, your pajamas, yo, that's big. So I, I, I had pajamas. You know, it was a big deal to have pajamas. Have your own, you don't share things and the next thing the blanket is being taken away by somebody else. Just your own space was powerful. So my grandma, my mother was a kind of professional person, so she, she prospered in that sense and she raised me up very well and I, I went to school and, and so I had relative comfort. I went to a township school. But then she died. So we don't know, we don't plan the things like that. They just happen. We ask questions, why do bad things happen to good people? We don't know the answer. Only God knows the answer. So one day I left my house. We've gone to my grandfather's house in Zwede, one of the other townships. We're visiting my grand, and at 3 in the morning we get a call. Well, a knock at the door. There was no phones. There's a knock at the door. My grand wakes up, and she's told, we've come to tell you your daughter has just passed away. So I'm in the bedroom. I hear that. I'm about 13. And I just said that my grandsister told that her daughter just passed away, which is my mother. It shattered my whole world. The only remaining parent who's ever loved me, cared for me, celebrated my birthdays, bought me gifts, bought me toys. Was, I was the only child, so I was prized by her. And I just heard that she just died. Didn't know what happened, um, but we speculate. There was a person who stayed with her. There's a lot of witchcraft now in some of our communities. When somebody prospers materially, there's a lot of jealousy. So we speculate that they're either poisoned or something, or cause of death. The death certificate will tell you that they will say cause of death, natural causes. I mean, a 38-year-old person shouldn't just drop down and die. But that's what happened. So we had no control of it. Buried my mother. People came to the funeral. And, you know, I remember one well-meaning person telling me that, you know, your, grandma, your mother left you a lot of money, so at least you can rejoice, you know, don't, don't be so sad. I didn't understand what the person is talking about. I didn't understand how my, the money that my mother left me could compensate or somehow replace the person I loved so much. And she did, and I'm glad, and I'm so proud of her. I mean, my mother, those of you who are older, you would know banks like NBS, People's Bank, and Allied. I was young, but I had bank accounts on those three banks in the township, by three bank accounts. Because my mother, being a nurse, was so astute with her finances, so meticulous that I had three bank accounts, the bond of the house was paid up, insurance policies paid up, everything was settled. 
However, the people she left me with has a problem. They came from the woodwork everywhere to stay in this house, misappropriated the whole inheritance. I had enough money to go to pay for my schooling up to tertiary. That time I was doing grade six, we call it standard four then. But by the time I was doing grade standard eight, I had already finished all inheritance because they came and they were drink, they were drunk every single day. My grandmother was drunk, my aunts were drunk, everybody was drunk, just finishing the whole money. My aunt would take her son to the insurance metropolitan and say, this is Africa. They didn't do all the checks then, so they would pay her off a certain portion of 7,000, whatever, and in the name of they've paid to Africa. But then she would come and buy her son's clothes and buy me maybe just, just one pair of shoes and just to placate me, but the rest would be bought for other children. So I learned to, eat, to sit and watch people eat and wear and look nice in my mother's money, and I'm sitting there like a Cinderella. So I was sitting there, I'm like, wow. And my uncles, well, uncles, they use drugs, you know, so they're drug addicts, so they use mandrax, they use dacha, smoke weed. People are always stoned. So I was laughing at things. <laughs> so they're always stoned, they're laughing at the fly passing. <laughs> so it's like it was an abnormal place. <laughs> So as a child, you are terrified because it's unstable. People are drunk, others are stoned. I mean, it's just not orderly. I wouldn't allow my friends to come to my house because when you get to my house, all you hear is expletives. It's all this rough language. You come to my house, for instance, you knock at the door. Um, wow, can I talk to you? Where is Africa here? And my grandmother, it's a usual colorful self, he says, Oh, you mean that dog? He's at the back there. He, she called me that. It was like her, her language. Well, because we are fighting, that was her normal language. Oh, you mean that dog? He's sitting there at the back. And then she would say something like this, and one day I wanted to have a dog, a puppy. Grandma, can I have a puppy? She says, you, you mean you, a dog? You want to raise a dog? And who would feed who? That's how she answered. She says, I didn't have a dog. One day I asked her for food. She said to me, go and ask your mother in the gravesite in the cemetery. Go and ask your mother for food. So she spoke to me like that, like normal. We did not fight. We just, that's how she spoke to me. It was normal. Under normal circumstances. That's how she treated me. So I was subject to these extreme levels of abuse. My, my uncle would, would beat me for something I don't know. Maybe he thinks he lost some money. And he would beat me and beat me. And I don't know what he's beating me about. Then later on, he would find his money and he wouldn't come and apologize. And then one day he would say something like this, do you want to you kill yourself? I'll buy you a rope. I'll help you along. You want to commit suicide? We'll buy you a rope. So that was the kind of family I grew up with. I believed that they were sent from hell itself for my torment. So I began to wonder naturally about God. I was going to wonder about God. It doesn't make sense. He sent me here for me to be in total misery. What for? What's the point to this? You know, and then I had friends, people who tried to commit suicide because they did not have money to do a haircut. I thought to myself, a haircut? You want to commit suicide because of a haircut? You think you've got problems. Haircut. <laughs> I'll write a whole book about the problems. You think you've got problems? Haircut. I've got serious problems. The, the look of my hair is a list of my problems. A haircut. You know? So I discovered something quite amazing. That when a person is blind, God gives them a strong sense of smell to compensate for their blindness. So what God did was to give me an unusual level of stubbornness. I just refuse to die. I tell myself, I keep saying to myself, I'll stand in my classroom and I'll tell my whole classmate that I'm going to be great in life. So how do you know? I said, I'm going to employ the rest of you. You'll be employees and just be standing in some queue somewhere. I'll be in charge. So how do you know? I, said, I just know. I'm not even born again. Anybody who cares to listen, I'll tell them where I'm going in life. So I'm going to change the world. So now you're so arrogant. I said, I'm not arrogant. I just know. You guys are just, 
going to school in order to be somebody's employee. I'm not going to be employed by anybody. I'm just, I went on and on. I don't know what was going on. Just had this thing that I was building. The whole time in school, township school, they're teaching us English in Kosa. Yeah, because the teachers don't, themselves don't speak good English. So they teach us English in Kosa. So we're trying to I mean, you understand that. It's quite confusing. So, so we're learning this. So here you are, you're in a classroom, you correct your own teacher because she's breaking, you know, she's breaking the language apart, Queen's language. And you say, no, 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 ma'am, it's not, it doesn't go like that. The, 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 noun, the noun doesn't go before the verb. It can't, you know, it has to go the other way. No, shut down, sit down. You know, it's like, but whatever, it's not supposed to go that way, whatever you say, but that's not the way it's supposed to go. So that's the kind of situations we had in school. I remember one day, standard four, telling my class teacher, she sends my, because at that time, there was no order in school. So a teacher could send a child to go and fetch something in a home like two kilometers down. There's no structure of school hours. And it was all these boycotts and stairways and go slows and all that. And so she sent my, my, my friend to her house to fetch something. And I remember telling her, can I accompany him? She said, oh. because we, at that time, our, our syllabus had not arrived at that level of English. She's like, where do you get that? So I had this natural affinity to grasp words and be hooked on language. So what I did, somebody, I think somebody yesterday asked me, where did you learn your English? I don't know. So said, heaven gave it to me. It's like, boom. <laughs> God gives you everything, including English, you know? But what I used to do as well, I used to read news, old newspapers as a habit. You know, when you are struggling, you find something to do to keep your, your time. So... So, because I wasn't preparing to die, so I had to find a way of living. <laughs> so, when you eat your chapis, you know, there's always this, did you know? You know? So, I would write those, I had exercise books. I like writing, so I would write, did you know? Did you know the fly has so many, you know, legs? Did you know the pollen goes like this from one plant to another? Whatever they tell me, I would write it down. So I kept writing, I kept enjoying this, because you create imaginary friends, you create spaces to occupy this misery you're having. Because you can't die, you see. You're not meant to die, you must survive. So you create avenues for survival. So I read, and I would write things. And then I had a habit, which only God knows what. I enjoyed classic music. Can you imagine? Out of the blue... I just fell in love with classic. I would visit somebody who was a friend of my parents, my mother, but I was still was able to receive, visit this man. He's, now a t- he's still a teacher, still alive. And I was, I'm going to go back in his life and really do well by him in terms of blessing him because of what he did. So I used to eat in this house. I would spend as much time there as possible so that they end up cooking and, and, and dishing out. Yeah. <laughs> So I'd hang around watching TV, doing things, playing darts, you know, just spending the whole day until, you know, something gets done in terms of, you know. <laughs> and then I'll eat, and when I get home, I don't mind whatever they're doing, but I know I'm sorted out. You know, so, so this guy used to listen to Richard Clayder, man, listen to, listen to Mozart, uh, Beethoven, and, and Leila and others. I used to I love this music. Though all my groups would listen to rap music from America, hip-hop, and, and all this quiet, everything bouncing, boom, boom, boom. You know, it just didn't make sense to me why people must be bouncing up and down. It's like, I feel like you're just messing up your brain, you know, it's like shaking your brain up. So I want to listen to this nice, flowing stuff. It's just good, I enjoyed it. Didn't know what is that, that it also stimulates your mind. You know, it helps your mind also, you know. I didn't know that, but I just enjoyed it. That's how God works, mysterious ways. Because he's got a plan for a person. In school, I would get something like 18 out of 20 in a composition of English, in an exercise. And, and there was a guy who would get 2 out of 20. So I would make jokes and say, why don't you give me your 20? I mean, your 2, because you don't need it. And then... <laughs> or, or even as a donate your 2 marks to me, so that I, to- I total... I complete it because, I mean, you don't need, I mean, it's like you didn't write the exam, I mean, you might as well give it. <laughs> but the whole time, these people are getting two out of 20 are living in wonderful homes. Their homes, their parents, they own a, a shop somewhere. They are materially far better than me, but I'm intellectually far better than them. So, 
I would then go and teach them English. We call our class Mind Your Language. Remember there was a sitcom from the UK where people just spoke bad English. We call our class Mind Your Language. Because people didn't know where the nouns belong, where the verb belong. Because of the teachers, how they taught us. You don't know where the E is at the end of the sentence or somewhere in the middle of the sentence. But you know it belongs somewhere. So we call it Mind Your Language. So I would laugh, and that was not good for me, but I would laugh at people speaking bad English. I just laughed. It was just funny. And, and therefore, I would teach my, my, my classmates English. And then, then, because they're living in this wonderful, beautiful, big house, and they're in, we're in a shop, and then they will be dishing out food. Then there will be things like mashed potato and peas. That's amazing. <laughs> to me, it's like, wow. So, you, so you, you try and stay there as long as possible until <laughs> such things will, be, will come out. Because... You know you're not, you're not getting any of this for the you know, for foreseeable future. So you might as well stay here and get mashed potato and peas. I mean, who's going to be giving you mashed potato and peas at home? You're eating all this samp, white samp, every day, and, and all that. So I used to eat bread as well at home. Bread, not with butter. I know butter came later. Bread and, and water. Not water with sugar, just water. And then go to bed. But I used to think to myself, he that laughs last, laughs best. And I will laugh last. So I kept holding on to see how the script will end. I keep thinking, this movie can't end like this. I must hold on to this. It must end differently. So there's something in me that was, I was more curious as to how this movie ends called my life. That's what kept me, the curiosity. And it can't end like this. There must be something. So then I, then I, my, my family was, was totally dysfunctional, like at the extreme level. Because when I finished my primary school and went to high school, nobody knew what grade I was doing. Literally. So I would forge my mother's signature. When they say, give your homework for your parents to sign, I will forge my mother's signature. I will look at documents and act as if a guardian has signed my, my homework. They didn't know that pastor. I actually moved from grade 8 on my own to grade 12. Nobody supervising. I don't know how. Just went to school with pants, hand-me-down pants. One nice man gave me his pants, but it's bigger size than me. So the pants are big. So, and you know you put, when you put your belt in big pants, what happens? You've got multiple pleats that are forming off that are, <laughs> are not normal. <laughs> so I've got all those pleats. And then obviously I put my set out because I'm hiding this embarrassment. Then you meet your teacher. There's this strict one. Klaupe, put your shirt inside. I'm like, my near, no, my near. Put your shirt inside. And he's looking. And he's watching. He's waiting. And, and then the students are waiting because they know what's going to happen. I put my shirt. <laughs> you know what students, how students can do, can, can crucify you and persecute you. So I'm like, no, my near, put your shirt. And I, and I put my shirt. And the next day they're watching those, and they laugh. <laughs> and it feels so sad. It broke my heart. You know, I'll wear, pants, I'll wear shoes that are, that are holes inside. So I'll put cardboard inside my shoes because they're holes. The same shoes I'll wear in church, the same shoes I'll wear um, in, in school. By church, I mean nominal church, not, not evangelical. So, and then I went to the school. There was no food. And there was one guy who came to school with no snack, which, you know, you burn bread and put... I mean, it was amazing to me, like... So, because I have to go and come, because I'm a talker, so we talk. So, people come around me and they, then they bring these things, which totally amaze me, like, wow. And, and then we eat this bread and then this cheese comes out and then it's like, <laughs> like wow. <laughs> no one has ever fed you this. It's amazing. So, it's just totally you're blown away by this kind of bread. You know, and so I was there. And then for some reason, I managed to finish and I got a conditional exemption in metric. So, I didn't get a full exemption because I failed maths. Because you know, you understand this, you, you're taught maths by a teacher who hardly wants to come to class. You have to go and fetch him in the staff room because he doesn't want to come to class. And when he comes to class, he's rig, he rigs off alcohol and, and all that. And then he writes a few things on the board and he tells you that the homework is on page 65 to page 800. And then uh, 65 to page 90, go and read and go, go and do your... And then he goes. So I got an age in maths. Can you believe it? Age, like, like rabbit poles, like... <laughs> And age. <laughs> I was bad. <laughs> but the whole metric class, I was a top English student. Whole the class of metric. 
without a proper English lessons, but through natural grasp of the language. And so I went to, so I had to do, course, I had to do um, bridging course in Cape Town at a college called Lift College. It was bridging to, to WC and Pentec and Peninsula and UCT. So we had to bridge and do six commercial subjects to go into whatever stream we follow. So I did that, and then I became, from math science background, then I became the top law student who did commercial law. Because I would grasp facts. So I became the top. So I would teach law to students who, who studied law the first year I got to learn law this first year. But by the time of the middle of the year, I'm teaching people law, and then they bring things like pizza. <laughs> when I saw a delivery of pizza to the residents, phoned by a student. I was totally amazed that students came to that rich. We call them Saul Kersner. Call Saul Kersner. You know Saul yeah. So We just didn't understand how a student can phone and a delivery be done in the residence to a student. We thought, this is shocking. He must be real, very rich. So here's the pizza being delivered. And, and these guys, I mean, they come from, some of them, Deben. They come in, they have cell phones, beepers, they have laptops. Some of them have bar fridges. I mean, it was amazing. I was like, what? And then people will fly back during the 10 days in March. I mean, for me, it was just impossible. It's a waste of money. I'm not going to pee for 10 days from Cape Town. 140 rands inter-Cape bus is like asking me like, to buy a whole house. It's a huge ask. Only time I go home is June and December. Even then, it's a huge struggle to raise 140 rands to go back home. And I don't even want to go back home to that mess called home. School is much preferred because there's three meals a day guaranteed from from the dining hall, you know. But it's fine, we live like that and experienced that, went to that challenge. And I had to leave the school, I was done. No, couldn't continue because there's no money to continue. Went back home. By the time I got back to school, I was already born again. How did I get born again? When I was doing my trick, some guys from Johannesburg came to our township to do an outreach in our hall. They booked the hall. Now, the way they did it was amazing because they did kind of things that young people enjoy. Good music. One. We just didn't. So for us, we were so hooked on these American um, singers, you know, the boys to men or whatever, four groups and vocalists and all that. They brought four guys from Johannesburg, recording artists, they were singing on stage. So we were like, the vocal talent, for us, part of what we thought was like, what a waste of talent. They could sing like R&B and make money like Baby I Love You or something or I Miss You. They're singing about, so we're more curious as to the singing about this Jesus. That's a waste of resources and talent. I mean, they could go far if they just say Baby I Love You or I Miss You and, and sell records. Because <laughs> that's what we saw with the American R&B groups. And, so they brought those kind of guys singing on stage. We were like this on our seats because we had all these CDs of this American music. So we are hearing that which we see, we hear on our CDs live now on stage. Just a live performance, just the PA system. Everything for us was new. We're not used to it. So we were captivated. The time the preacher finished his message and he made the article, so whoever wants to receive Jesus, put your hand up. I mean, my friends, my core drinking buddies, my core sinners, my... You know, my guys walk with me in the life of sin and debauchery and, and all and fornication. Now I could see my hand going up. I said, what's going on now? I don't know. My hand is just going up. I said, oh. I mean, we, didn't come, we didn't come here for this. And then I also didn't come here for this, but hand going up. You know? And so, but we were, when we were in school, we were laughing at what was going on in that church. Because we had people that spirit-filled. Hey, yeah, yeah, people are spirit-filled. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Crazy people there, they're falling, they're being pushed there, and they're saying they're being healed. No, he pays them to say they're being healed. So we made a joke out of it, and we call it a clown, a circus. We call the preacher a clown, and the whole thing a circus. I didn't know I was about to join the circus <laughs> and be a clown myself. I didn't plan for that one. But God knew that you shall be in the circus, and you shall be a clown also, which I am doing now. So I got saved like that. Met the Lord, touched my heart. I got to understand something. All things work together for good. Not all things are good. All things work together for good. 
to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. So I got introduced to the Lord Jesus. And then I got to be told, shocked me to be told that God has a plan for my life. And God knows me. I said, okay, that sounds interesting. He has a plan for my life and he knows me. And, I, and then I remember one day we had a service. This preacher, he's still my spiritual father. The man is powerful. He preaches, he sings, he plays the instrument, he prays for people. For just he's got boundless energy. You know? And one day I remember he flew from, from Chicago, came to a conference. He stood for three hours after just flying back from Chicago. He's got that kind of energy, praying for the sick and all that. So he was an inspiration and he was young as well, so we could relate to him. So I remember one day there was a service and they were singing and worshipping and the power of God came upon me. I remember I felt like there was needles going through my body. It was like my body was tingling the presence of God. I felt this anointing. Now, for me, the whole point of it is that he really knows me. Like there's everybody here in this building and he comes to touch just me. And I don't see him around me, but I feel him. And they tell him this is the God who made heavens and the earth and he reduces himself to, to, to be contained by this small, frail, troubled young person. So I got curious about this God. It's like, who are you? How are you? Who are you? You just, you just come from heaven somewhere. You just go and travel. Zoom. Into a hall. You just find a young person who's just so much trouble and just go Boom. Wow. They are shaking like a leaf. What's going on? And I was taught that this is how he does it. You know? And I've lived in my life, therefore, just hooked on the fact that service is no, ain't no service for me without God's presence. I'm not coming to church. I stay at home because I don't know why I'm going there for. I am so hooked on God's presence. I got to feel God's presence. I gotta, one day I was flying back from Amsterdam, ministering in Europe. And this Muslim, I was sitting next to a Muslim chap on the economy, and he kept praying every hour, because you know, every hour they go, they mumble their things. So I'm busy watching the onboard entertainment. So I felt guilty, because I said, Muslim is praying every hour. Maybe I'm just watching here, laughing the whole time. I think, maybe it's time I also pray, you know? Because people are fine with Muslims doing their stuff, but they think we are crazy. They think Muslims are normal. I said, no, it's about time that I also act like this normal. If this is normal, I'm going to be like this normal. So the Muslim will go mumble, mumble, I'll also mumble, mumble, mumble in tongues. But I won't make noise. So he goes, So now I'm also doing my stuff. I'm like, whatever he's doing in the spirit, I'm counteracting it. It's war. It's doing war in the spirit. So I was praying in the spirit and I felt God's presence. I felt God's presence. And I thought to myself, I'm about 35,000 feet above, this, above the ground, flying over Africa in some economy seat, in some middle seat, and the God of heaven locates me right there. Zoom! I said, this is amazing. You know me just wherever I am. You don't miss me. You just know this is where my son is. He cannot hide from me. That was amazing to me. And I got to understand that people like us don't need anything but just humility and God's presence would come in our meeting. That, that's what I discovered. It amazes me. The richest person on earth can never summon God's presence. The most powerful politician cannot say, God, come here. But the most simple, humble people with nothing in their pockets, with no titles, with no pedigree, with no privilege, can say, God, we are here for you. <laughs> and it just shows up. Amazes me. People like us can just do that. We have no titles. We are not known. We have no huge bank accounts. We are ordinary people who can just say, we are here, Lord. He says, you are here in my name? I said in my name. If you gather two or three in my name, I shall be there. I don't miss, I'm not missing the party. Are you having a party in my name? I am not missing that party. God says, I'm showing up. It's my party. I better be there. It amazes me that God can do that for us. And some people still walk around with their heads looking down, feeling sorry for themselves. Now let me tell you something. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. The pity party you try and do, nobody will show up except you. 
<laughs> Take it from me. Ain't nobody has time to feel sorry for you. Life goes on. So what have I done? I've forgiven all of them. I've buried them. Five funerals I've done in my family. Five. I've buried five people. I've taken them to the hospital. I've paid their bills. I've done everything to make sure they don't die. They died still. And I buried them. And I fed them. I bought them food. I took care of them. I nest them. And I buried them. Because life has to go on. It's not nice. But life has to go on. Because then you discover that there is a plan that supersedes all of that which you've gone through. I want to read something in my book about peoples and culture. Peoples is what we are born for, but culture is what you're born into. Peoples has to do with your reasons for your birth, while culture has to do with circumstances around your birth. Peoples caused your birth, while culture is only incidental to your birth. Peoples does not change, but culture does. Peoples is God's gift to you, but culture is man's gift. Peoples is heavenly, but culture is earthly. Peoples is worth dying for, but culture is not. The impact of life lived under peoples lasts forever, but the impact of life lived under culture is momentary. If you knew everything about your culture, but knew nothing about your peoples, you would have lived a wasted life. So, I then discovered while I was worshipping and fellowshipping at his people. Okay, when I went to his people in 97, uh, the people criticized me because they said, you're going to a white church. Look, I'm in Rondebosch. I'm a very practical person. I have no money. I stay in Rondebosch. His people is in Baxter Theater. It's practical, walking distance. I was looking for God, not white people. I tell them. <laughs> I keep telling them that. I went to the church because I was looking for God. I was not looking for white people. And I found God among the white people because I was looking for God. Don't ask me to jump into a train to college. I don't have money to go to Google to Onyanga. I am looking for God. And there was God at Baxter Theater. That's all I needed. What is politics? I didn't understand this whole politics that I'm not supposed to worship with white people. For me, I was looking for God and I found God. And I enjoyed it. It was a wonderful time. And so part of my non-racial thinking was formed there. Going up the stairs of UCT. And then I'm looking for this church called His People. I've heard about it. See two black gentlemen carrying Bibles. I asked them, where's His People? They said to me, we don't know where they are. We don't have fellowship with those white people. I said, okay. Then I told myself, I am not fellowshipping with you either. <laughs> if you speak like that about other God's children, you're not, you're not having me in your fellowship. I stood at the stairs of UCT looking over Cape Town and I decided to myself, I'm not joining racial issues. I'm not giving my life over to that. Made a quality decision as a young believer, one year saved, that I will not be a racist person. That was my own quality decision that I made standing at the stairs of UCT. It was my own moment with God. I tell myself, I will not go to a church because it's black. And that was it. That's my work. And I've not looked back. Right now, I preach to the Karumite, well, not all this time, but the last three years, preach to the Karumite man, middle back. Last year, it was 40,000 men who preached. Share stage with Angus Bakken, many other gifted people in the country. You come there, there's 40,000, 30,000 men, the numbers are keep growing. I mean, we don't even know. We only know that on Sunday, when Angus finished preaching last year, 10,400 cars left the venue. So you do the math. If every car has at least average of three people in a car, we're talking at least over 30,000 people. We're not counting the buses. We're not counting the kumbis. Just vehicles. So we're talking to thousands of people. I write articles for dispatch in the Eastern Cape newspaper. Ask me to write for them. I do stiff. I do that. I do that. I write books and all that. But my highest qualification is a metric. I only have a metric certificate. But God is an amazing God. Absolutely shocking. People ask me this. What, what, what is your qualification? What is your PhD? What is your PhD? What is PhD? You mean, you mean my metric? I'll tell you. My, well, my, my, I'll give you my metric certificate. <laughs> when I write, when I write, I tell you, when I write, 
I believe that information and inspiration are two different things. People can be informed. That doesn't mean they're inspired. Inspiration comes from above. Information comes from the earth. So there's a source of knowledge, universities. There's a source of wisdom, heaven. So God, James 1 verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask him. I'm not being anti-intellectual or anti-academic achievement. I, was, I choose of that in Rhodes just last weekend. I said, I'm not, I'm not anti-education. I'm just anti-intellectual idolatry. I'm anti-academic idolatry. I'm anti the idea that God cannot use a person unless he's educated. That's what I'm anti. Because Paul in Philippians, he says, I was schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And I was this and that. He begins to count his earthly qualifications. Then Paul says, but I consider all these things but rubbish for the excellence of knowing Christ. For a person who therefore comes to me and tells me God cannot use me because I don't have a degree, I tell them, you don't know the God I'm serving. You serve another God, but not the one I'm serving. The one I'm serving did not ask me to do a degree. He asked not for my ability, but for my availability. So when I became available to him, he infused me with his spirit and his wisdom, and I became unstoppable. The people who write for the newspapers are educated. They've done writing lessons. They've done degrees in writing. They are journalists that do this. People write and submit articles. They reject them because they say it's bad, bad articles. They phone me to write for them. I don't even apply to write for them. When others are sending applications that are being rejected because it's bad stories. For me, they ask, they hound me in to write for them. Because God, when God, in life, you must understand that. I must just close on this quickly. I must, but I must do this demonstration for you. There are two things that we must understand about the world and God's kingdom. In the world, the emphasis is on career. But in God's kingdom, the emphasis is on calling. In the world, the emphasis is on skill. In God's kingdom, the emphasis is on gift. In the world, the emphasis is on employment. But in God's kingdom, the emphasis is on deployment. You can never be unemployed where God has deployed you. No one can fire you from your purpose. They can fire you from their companies, but they never fire you from your destiny. A person's own destiny is unstoppable. No one can ever fire me because nobody's ever hired me. I've never applied for a job all my life. I've never sent a CV anywhere. Anything I do, I'm being asked for. I'm being headhunted because I'm operating in purpose. I don't need to apply for anybody's favor. I don't need to apply for anybody's, please do this. I don't have to apply for anything except to humble myself before God. Yeah. And the God of heaven, there's a gift to open doors for you, place it before great person. So God has placed me in a position where he directs the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. He directs my steps. I've never believed God this day that he can do great things with ordinary people to confound the wise. I believe God this day more than ever before. But if you submit yourself to God, nothing can stop you. Because God is so powerful. He just wants humble people who will say yes to him. Like a Mary was 16 years of age, betrothed to be married to Joseph. And God says, hail Mary, you are highly favored of God. She didn't qualify to bear the child called Jesus. She just said to be available. So God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. Amen. This is my story then. I'm going to close and pray on that. That's fine with you. <laughs> That's my story. We're going to pray together. You've been listening to my story. You've got your own issues as well that you're facing. You're not needing, let me tell you this, none of us need something from America, from else. We just need information. We just need heavens to open upon us. Sometimes we think a solution must come from somewhere else. We've built a church in Port Elizabeth. We're still building, though, in a township. People ask us, where do we get the money? We always, think, we always think money must come from a sponsor from America, from somewhere else. We bought a building, 650,000 rands. We paid it off with installment sale agreement with no bond. In fact, when I wanted to do a bond, the estate agent says, you cannot do a bond, not you. You must trust God. I didn't understand estate agent can say those things. So we bought the building. We paid it off. We're busy fixing it now. Not a single sponsor. People in the township cannot believe it because we expect that a township church cannot afford certain things. So we fixed the building. But the interesting thing about how we got the money, one day I was preaching in church. Then I turned around prophetically and I said to the church, 70 people, I said, by this time next year we'll have a million rents. And I looked around and thought, what did I just said? 
I didn't believe what I just said. And I was frightened because by this time, next day can be measured. It's not, a, it's not an open-ended prophecy. <laughs> and I said, next week I repeated that thing because I felt I must just push it. I tell you, by God's, God is my witness. By that time next year, a church in the township that had 70 people, no benefactor from anywhere, had 950,000 rands at FNB account or 50,000 rands at UPSA account, with a million rands by that time. I don't know how it happened. Amen. We bought a building, cash. We own our building. We've got enough parking. We're busy fixing it for children's ministry. I don't know how we've done what we're doing. But by the grace of God, people tell me I grew up poor. My mother left me. My father told me, I said, no, no, no. Your problem is you don't know God. Not what happened to you, but what happens in you. What happens in you, in your heart. So we want to pray together. Yes, you can play. Go ahead. So I want to pray for you here in, in Sarepta. You have your own experience, your own background, your own situation that you have faced. Maybe, maybe not believe God. Maybe you were just shaken. Your faith is just, you're doubting if God still even knows you, you exist. You think you are of no significance to God. My father, my daddy, I call him my father. I tell my church members, don't say our father. Huh? It's not enough. Say my father, my Abba, my daddy. My source, my pater. Is it good enough to say our father? Say my father, my daddy. The father of orphans, the husband of widows. is my daddy. He knows me by name. I have an Abba, my source. I lack nothing because my Abba watches over me. His Elohero, he, the God that sees, keeps watching over me. Let's stand together and pray. In fact, let me put it this way. If you need special prayer around the issues I've discussed, please, Alan, do you want to come and maybe? So if you need special prayer, really, maybe you've gone, you're going through stuff, you're, you're struggling to process stuff, you're afraid to come up front, otherwise we'll pray together corporately, but if you need special prayer, we're here to pray for you and release the anointing of God and presence of God over your life. So you're free to, to do that if you want to do so. Let's close our eyes. Father, we bless your name. We bless your name for the presence of your spirit. The anointing that breaks yokes and removes burdens. The yoke-destroying, burden-removing anointing. The spirit of creation that hovered upon the face of the deep. When everything looked deep and messed up in Genesis 1 and 2, the spirit of God still hovered upon the deep. You are the spirit who hovers upon the mess of mankind. And you create out of that mess a message for you. Out of a test, a testimony. You create something out of nothing. You bara, you create, you, you produce the supernatural out of natural broken people. You produce an anointing out of the squashing, out of the squeezing of the olive plants. An anointing of God is produced, oh God. Out of pain and misery, you produce beauty. Beautiful ashes, oh God. Though the weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Your, your, your latter end shall be greater than your former end. Do not despise the days of small beginnings, declares the Lord. You shall not be the same. For your God, your father your husband shall come for you he shall not fail he will come the vision is yet for an appointed season do not worry tarry wait for it it is yet for an appointed season god will not forget his word he will not slumber he will not sleep the keeper of israel neither sleep nor slumbers he watches over his word he is the god of heaven he is the god of the earth he is all everywhere he's a supernatural god He's a strong man. He's a man of war. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Do not be afraid, oh my children, for I am your God. I will not fail you. I will watch over you. I will go before you. The enemies you see today, you shall see them no more. Behold, the victory is waiting for you, declares the Lord. The victory is yours, declares God. 
Rejoice always, for I am with you until the end of the age. Haven't you read my word that I am the Lord? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I shall be with you until the end of the age. I shall walk with you, declares God. You are my children, declares God. I will walk with you. My plans for this nation shall not be stopped. My plans for this land shall not be stopped. I am the Lord, my God. I am the Lord, your God. I shall do great and mighty things upon this land. For my plans are yet to come, declares God. Rejoice because you have life. Rejoice because you are breathing. That means I have a purpose. Your life is not done yet. My plans are not done yet. Rejoice always because you have life. Rejoice always because I'm still working in you. I am still working in your life, declares God. Once again, declares God, once again I will shake the heavens and once again I will shake the earth and the things that must remain will remain. I will shake the foundations of your trust. Anything that you trust in that is not designed by me, it has to fall off. And once again I will shake the foundations of your belief and trust and you shall remain holding on to my altar, declares God. You shall remain holding on to me. Thank you, Lord. Bless your name, God. Bless your name, God. Bless your name. We bless your name. Mambrosa Karababosike. We bless your name, God. Bababos Sikia Babosa. Mandorobos Sikia. Lord God, we release your anointing. We thank you. My God, Ebabosibura Babosi. We give you praise. We give you praise. Sia Kora Sia Rokura Babosa. We give you praise. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Montalababos Sikia.